Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who indwells us as believers. And Lord, we pray for fresh insight into your Word. We pray for understanding. We pray for application with your help. And Lord, whatever we're having a hard time surrendering, we pray that you would enable us by your grace to let it go and to allow you to have your way in us and through us for your glory. And Father God, I pray for the gift of teaching that you would equip me to rightly divide your word of truth. Help me, O God, to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. And I pray for each and every person on this campus who's listening to your word and those who are online listening, joining us for the service. I I just pray, Lord, that you would just bless them through your word tonight, Lord, and that when we leave this place, that we'll leave better than when we came in, that we'll leave here more equipped and more Christ-like. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we are in Genesis uh, chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 18, verses 5 through 18. And the title of the study is Coming Into Focus. Coming Into Focus. So Abraham, Sarai, or Sarah, his wife, his nephew Lot, along with their possessions, they left this place called Haran. And they made it to Canaan, and Canaan is the land that God had promised to Abram or Abraham, as well as to his future descendants. And then due to a famine in the land, Abram and his family went down to Egypt. And as the story goes in the previous study, things didn't go too well there as Abram's life was exposed in regard to his relationship to his wife. And so Pharaoh sent him packing, sent him out of Egypt. And so Abram went back to that place of that second altar, which was between Bethel and Ai. And he set up that altar, by the way, just to fill you in. And so from this place, from this place of the second altar between Bethel and Ai, the story continues. And so that's where we pick up in Genesis 13, verse 5. And it says, Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that is, sustain all their grazing and water needs, that they may dwell together. For it says their possessions, what they owned, were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife, there was conflict, in other words, between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. So the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. And so both Abram and Lot were blessed. That, that's obvious. And, and just even going back to verse 2, it says, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. So he came out rich, and his nephew came out of Egypt even more rich. Many possessions, all these animals, these livestock. And so although these these two men were blessed with 
all these possessions. They were blessed in abundance. Although that's the case, uh, this was also one of the cause of strife or conflict between their herdsmen. For the scriptures tell us here that the land was not able to support both of their herds as far as feeding the herd of, of animal here. Now, in the New Testament, there is a parable uh, that Jesus told. It's called the parable of the sower. And Jesus mentioned those who received the seed of the word among the thorns. Now, what he said about those who received the seed of the word among the thorns, he, he said that these were the people who heard the word. In other words, received the seed. But it says that the cares of this world and the uh, deceitfulness of riches, it says it chokes the word and that person becomes un fruitful. And so I want to focus on that phrase, the deceitfulness of riches. And so how can riches be deceitful? And as we talk about this, we want to use Abram and, and Lot, his nephew, as a backdrop. But, but how can riches be deceitful? And so one way it can be deceitful is that uh, some people may think that, oh, if I have a lot of possessions, that, that if I'm rich, if I stacked up on this money, on this gold, on this silver, in their case, if I stocked up on livestock, even servants, that, that all my problems are going to go away. That is deceitful. That is the deceitfulness of riches, at least one of them. But even though that was the case for them, that these men, both of them were wealthy, we, we see that it did not get rid of all of their problems. In fact, it was a part of the issue here. It played a part in the fight between their herdsmen. And so that brings us to really ask ourselves to, to, to really look into ourselves and and ask ourselves, are we depending on anything else for security against troubles? Are we depending on, on, on anything else like riches, for example, to protect us against the strife and the problems that we'll have in this world? Or is God your security? I hope that's the answer to that question, that God is your security. And I pray that that is the answer for all of us, that we're depending on him for protection, for security, because he is qualified to do just that. But to be sure, in these verses, as we look at verses five through seven, this was a fight involving a family, a nephew's herdsman versus an uncle's herdsman. Obviously, Abram or Abraham being the uncle in this case. And unfortunately, this infighting or conflict is, is something that's way too common within the family these days. That is an unfortunate case. And as I make that point, I'm not talking about the, the hate or conflict that comes as a result of one person being a believer a born-again, Bible-believing Christian, and the others 
not Christians and they are hateful towards Christians. They're hateful towards God. I'm not talking about cases like that within the family. I'm just talking about strife or conflict within families in general. And unfortunately, you see this a lot at memorial services or or funerals or at least as some of them, you can see the attitude. You can kind of sense the attitude. If you really use discernment, you can sense the strife, the conflict within the family. Even within helping to plan memorial services, you can kind of, based on how they uh, mention people and, and, and kind of describe what's going on and what they have to do, you can kind of sense that, that there's some strife here. And so this type of thing happens way too often. But then in talking about the physical family, the blood relatives, we want to use that as springboard to talk about the spiritual family, the, the church family. Because this strife, this conflict can also happen within uh, the body of Christ. Too much infighting within the church among the people of God. Amongst the bride of Christ, a a nickname for the church. And often it's in regards to things that have nothing to do with salvation. They don't affect salvation. Or it's not an essential of the faith, as some would say. But obviously there's some important things we do need to discuss when when there's a difference, even in the non-essentials of the faith. Of course, it's okay to have a sit down and discuss these issues to see if we can come to some type of agreement based upon the word of God, because God's word is the standard and it should be for what we believe, for what we teach, for what we practice as the people of God. But when the church discussed these important issues, it should not be aired out or handled in an ugly way. Because one thing we need to remember is that the world is watching. And we need to think about this because remember, even though uh, as Lot and Abram's herdsmen were fighting, as this, there was this infighting amongst the family. Notice that, that verse 7 ends this way. It says, the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. Which means that it was possible that they were watching the so-called people of God have this infighting amongst them. And so as a people of God, as a church, we have to remember that for us too, that the world is watching. They are watching how we carry ourselves. They are watching to see uh, whether or not we are getting along and, and they're watching to see whether or not there is unity within the body of Christ. Because unfortunately, and I've taught this in one of the previous studies, when, when people who do not believe in God come together and they, and they are unified. We see a lot of their purposes are, are, are beginning to um, come to fruition. But then amongst the people of God, there's this disunity in many cases. And talking about the big C, the church as a whole, but that also happens in some local fellowships or local churches as well. And so we need to remember that the world is watching. In other words, the Canaanites and Perizzites, they're in the land and they're watching what we do. They're watching how we handle things. They're watching how we handle conflicts. 
So instead of being recognized for how we fight one another, Jesus said the following in John chapter 13, verse 35. He says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So he didn't say people will know that you are my disciples for how you fight one another, but no, how you love one another. And so as we go through this study to get to our main topic, our main topic is coming into focus. So as we get there, as we make the journey there and get to that point, what we're going to do as we go through the study is that we're going to pick up some pointers on how to uh, resolve conflicts. So in other words, conflict resolution. So we're going to see that as we walked through the scriptures. And so in verse 8, it says, so Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. In other words, we're relatives. And so point number one for conflict resolution is there must be a willingness to stop the strife. There's a willingness to stop the strife. In fact, Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. That includes, of course, our family members and our brothers and sisters in Christ, our neighbors, co-workers, fellow students, whatever the case is. And notice that um, in regard to this point that Abram was the initiator, that he showed this willingness to stop the conflict between his herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. And so will we follow this? Will we be the initiator of peace? Or will we be gas on the flame of strife? Then point number two, communicate. Obviously, this is important. You hear this and, and you know, from probably different pastors, teachers, whatever the case is, but Communicate is key in conflict resolution. So notice that it says specifically, Abram said to Lot, communication. So he began that conversation with his nephew. And then notice this. And this is all just in verse 8 of Genesis 13. Is that there is a recognition of a problem. So, so Abram recognized the problem because he says, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. So he recognized that there's something going on, the recognition of a problem. And he also recognized that if we let this continue between our herdsmen lot, then it could lead to issues between you and I. And so he wanted that to stop. He wanted to nip it in the bud, so to speak. Then point number four, in regards to conflict resolution, and we're getting all this from Genesis 13 here, is that there's a reminder of relationship. Reminder of relationship because he says, for we are brethren. For some of us, we may say, hey, we are co-workers or or we are teammates or time out we are brothers in Christ before things get out of hand remember our relationship to one another remember that we're supposed to be working together and so this reminder of this particular point is designed to to bring everyone's emotions down 
and to also put things into perspective. And so that's point number four, the reminder of relationship. And so to get to the next point, we'll need to read verse nine. It says, it's not the whole land before you. And this Abram speaking to Lot. Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And so here you see that in conflict resolution, there's an attitude of humility. An attitude of humility. And so Abram at this point, remember that he is the elder. He is the uncle. Although in some cases, the uncles are younger than nephews. There are cases like that. But, but here, he is the elder. And so as the elder, he would have the right and the privilege to make the decision. As the elder, he would get first dibs. However, in his humility... He allowed his nephew, the younger Lot, to make the first choice. And this is, by the way, the same attitude that Christians need to have. And it's pointed out so clearly in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. It says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so to have this attitude, this humility, and just uh, thinking about others, which is also unselfish, This is a Christ-like attitude because this is the mind of Christ that was demonstrated in the incarnation. And when we talk about the incarnation, it means uh, when we talk about him coming in human form, when he temporarily set aside the independent use of his divine privileges, he didn't totally get rid of them, but temporarily He gave up the key word independent use of his divine privileges when he took upon a human body. Some would say he emptied himself. He emptied himself in that way. He didn't empty himself of his deity. He always remained God, but just gave up the temporary um, independent use of those divine privileges. And so he walked like everybody else walked. He ate like everybody else um, ate and so forth, had to drink water and so forth. And so, that, and so when, you, when you read these things about Christ, you do have to remember that, that there's two natures within him. So there's one person but two natures. Some people would say there's, there's one who and two what's in Christ. And so that's why at sometimes you'll see some things where it says that Jesus did not need anybody to tell him anything about man because he already knew what was in man. That's the divine nature working. But there was also times where you see where he temporarily set aside the independent use of his divine privileges when he said that he didn't know when he was coming back. Does he know now? Yes, of course, he's God. But in his humanity, that's what happened. And so he demonstrated that this attitude of humility. And by the way, I would even say unselfishness. When he came as a human, why did God have to take upon human flesh? Well, that's, that's because that's the only way God, a perfect one, was going to be able to shed his blood on our behalf and in our place on account of sin so that we can be the righteousness of God in him, so that we can have a right standing with God the Father. That was the only way that was going to, be ha- that was going to happen. 
the only way that was going to take place. Speaking of that fellowship with God, speaking of reconciliation with God the Father, as if God the Son did it. And there's so much we can get into with that, but, but, but just to get to the bottom line of the point once again, just to reiterate, reiterate messing up my words there. Jesus was not selfish. I make up my own words here. That's what I do. Okay. But Jesus was not selfish in giving his life on behalf of sinners. In verses 10 through 13, it says, and Lot lifted his eyes and he saw all the plain, all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. And this, this is, of course, was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And so this plain of Jordan was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. And so um, in one version, when it talks about the word plain here in verse 10, it literally means circle. And it was probably talking about the large round plain where the Jordan River empties into the Dead Sea. And so he lifted his eyes. Speaking of Lot, he saw this plain, this large round plain, and he saw that it was beautiful. It kind of reminiscent of the garden of the Lord, the garden of Eden. It was just so well watered and lush and beautiful. And also like the land of Egypt, as you go towards Zoar. Zoar, by the way, means insignificance. And Zoar was at the south end of the Dead Sea. Another source said it was a city at the southeast end of the Dead Sea. And in verse 11, it says, Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan or the Jordan Valley. And and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot uh, dwelt in the cities of the plain. And he pitched his tent even, or he set up his tent, even as far as Sodom. In other words, he set up his tent very near to Sodom. In verse 13, it says, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And so we see here that God made his decision on where to move to, on where to go based on looks. And by the way, this is one of the same reasons that Eve fell for the temptation of Satan. This is what we call the lust of the eyes. Because in Eve's case, for example, it says that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was pleasant to the eyes. So this is the lust of the eyes here that that we see even with Lot. He, He sees something that looks pleasant. Speaking of this land, that's all he sees. And so he ends up setting his tent near Sodom, this wicked city. And we'll find more uh, more about this city, Lord willing, in uh, another study. But as we continue our reading in Genesis, you're going to see this progression of Lot's location and relationship to Sodom. But for now, he set up his tent near or very near to Sodom. Now, according to Wycliffe Bible Dictionary, tradition locates Sodom at the south end of the Dead Sea. And the geological evidence in this region of salt formations, asphalt, sulfur, and petroleum actually supports the biblical record that this is most likely where Sodom was located, at the south end of the Dead Sea, somewhere in that area. 
And so in regard to Lot, even though he made this decision based on sight and he moved near this wicked city, if you look in the scriptures in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, the, the Bible actually calls him righteous. He is called righteous Lot. So it doesn't mean that he was an unbeliever because he, he did this. Because like I said, the scriptures consider him righteous. But it wasn't the smartest decision in this case. But one thing we can learn from Lot uh, in this particular study is that there's always more than meets the eye. In other words, there is always more than, than you can see with, the, with your physical sight. Even when it deals with sin. Because sin on the outside, oh, it looks good. It looks beautiful. It looks fun. Something you want to participate in. Maybe it's some type of sinful business venture. We could go in all kind of examples of, of what folks get into, but I don't want to mention any because I don't want to cause anybody to stumble. These online, quote unquote, business ventures that people get into, all this sin, oh, it looks good, but it's gonna, and it's going to make me money, but they're not considering the stuff that they can't see maybe down the line. They're not considering the, the mental, emotional, and spiritual implications of this so-called business venture. Maybe there's a sinful relationship with someone and it looks fun. It looks good. It pleases my flesh. At least that's what I think on the outside. But once again, sin, it's always wrapped up in pretty wrapping paper. Oh, it looks so good. But remember, there is always more than meets the eye. And so I would encourage all of us to, to ask the Lord for wisdom, ask him for direction, ask the Lord for discernment. And discernment, by the way, is being able to discriminate between right and wrong. It's being able to discriminate between what is God and what is of our spiritual enemy, the devil. It is being able to discriminate or tell the difference between what is okay and what is best. Because many of us even settle, even if it's not sinful, some of us park where it is just okay. Many of us park where it is just good. Whereas God is over here saying that may be good, that even may be okay, but this is best. And whatever God has for you, whatever is in his perfect will, or I like to say his preferred will is always best. And so I'd encourage you that if you're going to pray about the will of God being revealed to you, ask the Lord for his perfect will, his preferred will. For example, God's preferred will is that everybody will repent and receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord. That is his perfect or preferred will. But some people would rather park in God's permissive will because in his permissive permissive will he gives people free will to make their decision so there's a difference between the permissive will of God and his perfect will of God and then of course while I'm talking about the will of God you have the absolute will of God where it's going to happen no matter what Jesus coming back is going to happen no matter what absolute will of God. Your free will doesn't matter in that case. 
Verses 14 through 17, Genesis 13, it says, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, he says, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever, and I will make your descendants your, uh, your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. He says, Arise, walk in the land through its length and width, for I will give it to you. So after Lot departs, after his nephew is gone, the Lord spoke to Abram, stating some promises, and then he commanded him to arise and walk in the land through its length and width. And he said, Because I give it to you. And so Abram or Abraham was commanded by God to walk through the promise as if it were already his. So Abram, you hear the promises. It's going to be done. I want you to look and and see northward and southward and eastward and westward. And then I want you to walk through the promise. Walk through what I promised you. It is something for us here, the spiritual nugget here for us as believers, those of us who've repented and we've placed our trust in Jesus for salvation, is that we also need to learn how to walk through the promises God has made to us in who? In Christ. All of the promises that we have from God the Father are wrapped up in Christ. Or they are through Christ. And you'll see that clearly, for example, in the letter to the Ephesians in the New Testament. But we need to walk through the promises of God. Because the scriptures tell us that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Which means that these blessings, these promises that God has given to us as believers, as his children. It tells us that they are eternal. If they are in heavenly places, they're eternal. They're in a place that we can't lose them. And and they are, of course, in Christ. And as we survey the word of God. As you picture Abraham physically surveying the land, looking in all these directions. And so as we survey the word and those promises in the word, that we get a clearer picture of the territory or of the promises or the blessings with which the Lord has blessed us. So we see all of this. So so get to know what's in the word of God, the Bible. Because as you'll see, as you survey the word of God, you'll see that you have an inheritance from the Lord. That you are an heir. You are a joint heir with Christ. And so not only are we born again into the body of Christ with this spiritual rebirth from above, from the Holy Spirit, and now you are a child of God by faith in Christ. Not only has that happened, but the scripture also mentions that we are adopted as sons. What's the difference? Well, when you talk about being adopted as a son in the family of God, that means that you have adult status in the body of Christ. So if you have adult 
status in the body of Christ, that means that you are eligible for the inheritance that is in Christ. So we are both born again and adopted eligible for the inheritance, but you have to survey the word of God to understand exactly what it is that we have in Christ. And all I know that if we're joint heirs with Christ, whatever Christ has, he allows us to be partakers of that. I know that we'll inherit life and we'll inherit a kingdom. I know that in the promises of God, as I walk the text, as I walk through the promise of of God, I see that there is rest for the weary. That is promised to the believers. There's rest for the weary. There, There is joy that is unspeakable, this unspeakable joy that is promised to the believers. Are you resting in that? Are you walking through the promises? Are you applying the promises? Are you enjoying what's available to you as a believer? This unspeakable joy, this rest for the weary, this peace that passes all understanding is available for all believers. But are you leaning into it? Are you walking through or walking in? Or I should say, are you appropriating the promises of God because they belong to you? As his child who was born again into the body of Christ. They belong to you as believers who have this adult status in the body of Christ. The family of God. Through the adoption. So like Abraham was walking through this land of promise as if he owned it. Even though he never did as while he was alive. Of course his descendants would eventually enjoy that land. And inherit it. But yet and still he walked through it by God's command. As if he already had it. Verse 18, Genesis 13, it says, Then Abram moved his tent. And he went and dwelt by the terebinth trees. Or this grove of oak trees of Mamre. And it says... This is located pretty much in Hebron, which is 19 miles south of Jerusalem. And notice that he built an altar there to the Lord. And this would, of course, be a third altar that he built in the land. But Mamre, Mamre is an Amorite. It's named after an Amorite leader. And so if you want to reference that, you just look in the next chapter, Genesis 14, verse 13. So Genesis 14, 13, if you want to check it out about Mamre, this Amorite leader. But that's why it's called the terebinth trees or this grove of oak trees of Mamre. So now his, as we see the end of that verse, he put together, set up this third altar. So third altar in the land of Canaan, this promised land. He has God on the mind. Speaking of Abram, he has God on his mind. So now not only did God tell Abram that he was going to give him and his descendants the land of Canaan. But God showed him the extent of the promised land. He showed him the extent of it when he told him to look north and look south and westward and eastward. So this land is yours. Now see the extent of it. That, that's what happened. But then God added something here. 
He, he told him that his descendants will be innumerable, that they, that they won't be able to be counted, won't be able to number his descendants. And this is a man who's you know, older in years, and he and his wife, they don't even have one child, but yet God added this. He added this point of clarity to this promise. And so through more confirmation and through more details of the promises, what God did was he brought these promises more into focus for Abraham after what? After Lot was gone. See, speaking of focus, you know, on my cell phone, I have an iPhone. I still don't know how to, I I had it for, I don't know how many years, but I still don't know how to use the thing all the way, but I know one thing, and I just tested it today. I don't use it often, but uh, there's this uh, feature on my camera, and many of you know what it is. It's this portrait feature. And so when I use it or when you use it, you'll notice that when you go to take a picture of something or someone with this portrait feature on your camera, you notice that the background is blurred or it's so, quote unquote, removed from the focus. It only focuses and it brings clarity on that thing that you want to focus on. Once again, everything in the background is blurred out. Everything that's not supposed to be in focus is Uh, blurred out. And so who or what I'm taking a picture of with this feature, with this portrait feature on my iPhone, it it becomes more defined. And I use that as a springboard to say that God's plan for our lives, it will sometimes come more into focus when, when certain people are blurred out or removed from the picture, so to speak, as in the case of Abram or Lot, because once he was removed from Abram, then the promises began to come more into focus for Abram. Lot began to be blurred out as he moved towards his new location. Or I would even say God's plan for our lives will come more into focus even when unnecessary responsibilities that we take on are removed from the picture. See, some of us take on responsibilities that God didn't call us to take on, but God sometimes needs to intervene in those responsibilities that you took upon yourself are removed or blurred out of the picture. And then you'll see that, okay, you'll see God's plan for your life becomes more focus more clear to you or maybe when a certain distraction is blurred out or removed from your life then God's plan for your life or his will for your life is more clear it's coming into focus for you and there's some of us who are involved in drama or chaos you have no being no business being involved in but when that is removed or quote unquote, blurred out, then the will of God for you or the plan of God for you will also come more into focus. You see, there's many things that are in the way that needs to be removed from our lives or from our situations in order for us to get clarity in regard to the plan of God. 
Now, could it be that some of us are not hearing God clearly or seeing God's plan for us clearly in certain situations because we just have too much in our lives? And like I said, it could be a person or people, group you hang with. It could be that. But those things, those people kind of need to be blurred out so that God could get you in the place that he wants to get you in. Because we see here in the study that in God's providence, and when I talk about God's providence, I'm talking about uh, God's orchestrating things in his wisdom and love. It's causing things to, to shift and fall into place. And so through his providence, he allowed this conflict to break out between Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen in order to eventually get Abram right where he wanted him. So where did God want him? God wanted him alone. He told him from the beginning to get away from your family, from your father's house to a land that I called you to. And so God allowed this conflict to break out. And now he has him right where he wants him by himself. So God has him in a one-on-one situation. And so I wonder if you are in a position, or I should say, are we in a position to receive more insight and clarity from God? Something that maybe you've been praying for for days, for weeks, for months and years, but you haven't received more focus on that yet, on what God will have you to do. Because there's just too much around you that need to be blurred out or removed. And so you have to ask yourself, what relationship or relationships am I holding on to that's in the way? This is all, they're not always non-Christians, by the way. Or we should ask, what unnecessary drama do I have in my life that needs to be removed so that God can just have me on a one-on-one situation? What distraction is in my life that needs to be blurred out from my life so that the plan of God can come more into focus for my life? See, when there's a separation that God brings or allows in order to bring things into focus or to give us more clarity, there could be a comforting effect and that's something that we need to realize because in Abraham's case for example he he may have been sad at the separation I'm sure if we would have been there at that time we would have seen that how how bad of a place maybe he was in at the first in the first situation when he's like wow this is my nephew His father died, and I'm taking on this responsibility to have him with me. I want to make sure that he's prosperous. I want to make sure that he's okay. I want to make sure that he's healthy. So he's going through, I'm sure, probably some emotions at this time that there had to be this separation. But the beautiful thing about it is you see that God jumped right in. And yes, he brought more focus and he brought reassurance of his promises. He brought it to Abram right on time. And I'm sure that it brought this comforting effect upon Abram. And even for us, the separation or change 
that we've been talking about. It could be an emotional experience for us as we begin to have certain relationships or groups we hang with or certain hobbies or whatever it is. Maybe even it could be even a job that we have to let go of. It's blurred out now. We have to let those things go. Maybe there's some type of emotional experience that, that we're going through. But as we see in the study, God always has something better. He has a way of assuring us and giving us more clarity and bringing things into focus in our lives. Giving us this comfort. See, brother or sister in Christ, you may have broken up with boy wonder. You may have broken up with wonder woman. But, but God has someone for you who loves the Lord more than they love you. Amen. And that's what you want. Somebody who puts God first. Because if they have God first, if they love him with all their hearts, all their mind, soul, and strength, then that horizontal relationship with you will go better. They'll learn how to love you who are made in the image of God. They love God and they can love his image bearer. And so, yes, that that may have happened in some of your lives. You may be in a bad spot. Oh, I was with him. I was with her for all these years and they even proposed to me and all this stuff. But now they've been blurred out. But God has something better. Bringing this plan for you into focus, more clarity, that he has somebody better for you. Who's in the word, who loves him. Or maybe there's some who've left the job that you thought was perfect. You left that job and you now have entered into something that pays less. But it's more of a blessing and things have come into more of a focus for you because now you realize it's not always about how much I can make on a certain job. But maybe it's about how many lives I can be a blessing to. So it doesn't pay me as much, but I can be a blessing to more people. So maybe that's you. Maybe you're in that situation. Maybe that old job has been blurred out. Because God has a plan that's better for you and it's coming into focus. And I would say you can take comfort in that. Or maybe there's some who are like that rich young ruler where they're being told to sell all you have and give to the poor. You see, Jesus, in other words, just to keep in line with the study, Jesus was trying to have those riches blurred out of that young, rich, young ruler's life. Trying to have the riches blurred out so that what? So that God's plan for him will come more into focus because for him, the money was an issue. So, hey, young, rich, young ruler, you give that up. You allow that to be blurred out. Your, your riches, in other words, your physical riches. But guess what? Jesus tells him in Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Guess what? You're going to have treasure in heaven. So Maybe that's the case for some. One thing blurred out so that. God's plan, God's better or best, I should, I should say, can come more into focus. Or maybe it is the case with, as it was with the apostles, where some have been led to leave behind family members. 
They've been led to leave behind lands and cars and houses and the comfort of where they are. Those things have been blurred out. God has called you out of that. That he wants to be the number one focus. Everything else has to be secondary. But maybe there's somebody, like I said, in that case. But, but Jesus gives words of comfort as he brings things into focus. As he brings clarity. For people who have left much behind. Because he says in Matthew 19, 29, he says that everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or or father or mother or wife or children or land or fields for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold or a hundred times more and inherit eternal life. So, yes, believer, there's some things that may be blurred out in this life. There's some relationships that may be blurred out or separated from you in this life. Maybe you enjoyed hanging around that group and just having fun, but, but, but there's no real edification to it. So maybe that's the case for you. And, and God wants to say something to you. He wants to bring things into focus for you. He wants to bring more clarity to you. He wants to bring a, a, a more clear perspective to you in regard to life and what he has in store for you. So, yes, that may be the case. And, and yes, you may be in a sad or emotional place because you love that group you used to hang around. You love being a part of the end group. You love that clique that you were a part of. You, you love joining in that, that text that everybody else was a part of. You love going to that school that everyone else, everybody that you love was a part of. You love having fun with those teammates. You love having fun with your coworkers. You may have loved certain activities that you are a part of with other family members or friends or loved ones, whatever the case may have been. You, you of course, love your family, but God may be calling you out into, and to go into the mission field, for example. You may enjoy doing that certain activity or job, but God may be calling you out to go into ministry full time or to go street witnessing uh, instead of participating in activities that you always enjoyed. But, but Jesus says that, hey, I have something better in store for you. I, I want to bring some things in focus for you. So, yes, there's things that are being blurred out, things that are being separated from your life by his providence. But guess what? You'll inherit eternal life. You're going to gain more brothers and sisters in Christ. You're going to have this eternal family. And you're going to not miss out on the love that you think you're going to miss out on. And so when we hear these things being brought more into focus, yes, it's going to bring this great comfort as it brought to Abram. And so I don't want you to think that, that, oh, God is removing this from me. Then what do I have left? I would say to you. Maybe God is allowing you to be in the place or maybe he's nudging you to be in the place where he wants you, just you and him. Just you and him so you can hear from him more clearly. Maybe that's the place. Maybe that's where you need to be. And so my prayer is 
that, Lord, whatever needs to be removed from our lives so that we can hear from you more clearly, so that things will come more into focus for us. Lord, we want to be in agreement with your plan. Lord, we want to ask that you remove those things. If you want to call us out of something, Lord, call us out of it. Help our hearts, our minds to be in agreement with you. Because there's nothing more important than your relationship with God and being on the same page with him. Amen. As the worship team comes up, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your plan for us. We thank you, Lord, that you do kind of remove us from situations or remove situations or maybe even people from us who you deem are a distraction. We do pray, Lord, to learn your perfect will for our lives in every area and help us, Lord, to not be stubborn. Help us to not wallow in grief because we're leaving what's comfortable or or because what's comfortable is being removed from us. But help us to take comfort in the fact that you know what's best and that your plan is perfect. Father God, I pray for anyone in this this room or under the sound of my voice who may need a encouragement or reassurance from you, Lord. I pray that they would receive that in the name of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that as we leave this place and not your presence, that you bless us with traveling grace, that you'll equip us for your service this week. If there's anyone you'll have us to witness to or minister to, Lord, we pray for those opportunities. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.